Hi, I'm your host, Max, and this is Power Source Podcast, a place where I'll be talking about retro games, game design, and game history. Since this is the first episode, I'm going to be talking about a basic history of games, mostly to give uh, you, or the listener, um, just kind of a vague timeline so that in future episodes, when I talk more about the specifics of games, you'll have a frame of reference uh, as to where in time that was or what you know the gaming world was like at the time. So our story begins in 1991 when a group of four programmers, John Romero, John Carmack, Tom Hall, and Adrian Carmack, unrelated to John Carmack, came together and formed id Software. They released a couple games, um, Commander Keen, a couple of 2D platformers, some basic stuff people had already seen before. Um, And then they released uh, something that truly kicked off video games, uh, Wolfenstein 3D. You might have heard of it. If you see it, you might recognize it. But it is, they call it a corridor shooter. But it is one of the first first person shooters where you play as the character and you shoot from your perspective. Uh, Wolfenstein 3D is a game about, based on a book, based on an, an Apple II video game. It's got a, a fairly long history, um, but id Software kind of revived it, right? So Wolfenstein is this story of B.J. Blazkowicz, uh, an American soldier fighting Nazis. And so it's a very American story of you know, kicking ass, excuse my language, and you know beating the Nazis. So it has a, a very influential message to it. After Wolfenstein, and after the success of Wolfenstein, because it was highly successful and highly disapproved of by parents who didn't want their children engaging in such violent video games, and we'll talk about that later, but after the success of Wolfenstein 3D, id Software decided to make, in, uh, you know, Wolfenstein came out in 2000, not 2000, 1992, sorry, and in about maybe like six months uh, to like maybe two, three months or six months, I'm not exactly sure, um, they would make or they would finally release a game called Doom. Now Doom, though it has its roots in Wolfenstein and it is based, it is called, um, it is based in Wolfenstein, as video games have engines, if this wasn't clear, video games work in engines and those engines are kind of the basis of the programming and you can add and remove and change things and then the engine will react accordingly right and so uh wolfenstein was id tech one and doom was id tech two so it was a revision uh, a new version of the engine of their software Um, but doom it had its roots in wolfenstein but it truly was revolutionary in terms of play style and just general, the atmosphere was completely different. Doom, sorry for hitting my mic, but Doom is a video game about shooting demons in hell. You are a space marine uh, without a name, and your whole squadron gets killed, and you are in hell, um, or Mars, depending on what you read. It's a little vague at the time. They weren't super concerned with the story. But you have to basically get out of there and kill as much as you can. And that was a huge selling point. And it listen, and it's not even just about it was a selling point and everybody loved it. This game was technologically amazing because it looked better than Wolfenstein. It had 
textures that were, Wolfenstein was fairly square and kind of empty. And it was impressive at the time. And looking back on it, it's kind of, you know, whatever, right? But Doom, you see it and it is full of objects and props and windows and, and, and like corridors. And, and it is truly something like, for the time, for 1990, for 1993, it was amazing. Like the technology was there and they brought it and they truly made something brand new with it. So Doom, you know, Doom had um, had deathmatch, and it had uh, deathmatches when players uh, kill each other as a competitive sport rather than killing the enemies in the game and going through levels. Um, but because of you know the early internet and deathmatch becoming like a competitive thing that people would spend hours on, it truly skyrocketed into popularity and in popularity and made. John Romero and John Carmack, two very rich men. <laughs> Here's a little background on them. Um, John Romero and John Carmack uh, are two of, personally, in my opinion, two of the most intelligent people on earth. And, like, they they really have some... They have a level of intelligence that I really think works so well together. And I'm getting my information here from a book called Masters of Doom, uh, written about Masters of Doom, among with uh, some other podcast I had listened to that about this specific topic, but um, and from Sandy Peterson, who was another developer in on its software. But they had an amazing chemistry where John Romero wanted to absolutely push the limits. He wanted to make everything huge, and he wanted to impress, and he had a showmanship that he put into his programming that truly blew people away. And John Carmack, or just Carmack, because there are two men named John, right? But Carmack, he was not the brains of the operation, but he could f- translate Romero's ideas into the video game. Romero was also a programmer, and he also did a, a lot of programming as a genius in that way. But uh, Carmack is a genius at mathematics, and currently um, he's working, like now as of 2021, he's working in artificial intelligence and uh, development in that field, but he has previously made huge advances in like virtual reality technology. And every time he touches something, he's like the Midas of of technological development. Every time he touches something, it turns to gold. It's like like it's what he does is amazing. And um, so uh, Tom Hall was a level designer and designed some of the best levels in Doom and some of the really really good ones in Quake. And Adrian Carmack, who I think eventually left its software, I think they all left eventually its software. Um, but Adrian Carmack did was an artist, and he made all of the sprites in Doom out of out of clay, and then he digitalized them and made them into enemies in the game, and it was like such, such a cool concept. After the success of Doom, um, John Romero came to the rest of id Software, which at that point was not just four employees; it was many more people, and told them. That he had, uh, he came with a two, like a two-page document for a game called Quake, and Quake, ooh, that that game was, ooh, that technologically, very impressive for the time. It was a 1995 game, and it was similar, first-person shooter, since those did very well, and they were interested in making that kind of game, but it was the first fully 3D game, because Doom and Wolfenstein were not fully 3D. They 
you know, they call it 2.5D. It's only partial 3D since you are actually like technically always on the same plane. You cannot like you can go up and you can go down, but you can never be on a ledge on top of like a corridor and then go underneath that corridor. Um, but Quake truly it, it had deathmatch also, and even so much that John Romero invented the like Quake deathmatch trash talking. He, he John Romero truly, from what I've read. He was the guy who popularized and invented trash talking in video games and that kind of almost like toxic gamer mindset that you'll hear about all the time these days. He invented it. He was the guy who made everything like that real because he was playing his own game online with other people and he was destroying them at it because he made it. And he kind of, uh, he would, you know, obviously there was no uh, calling at the time, but there was a chat function and, you know, he invented it. Um, but Quake again. It's software at this point had made revolutionary after revolutionary after revolutionary title. And so it was like amazing. And um, after this, it's software, it, it started to fall apart. They, they're still together and they're owned by Bethesda at this point. But the issue is um, John Romero wanted to do more. He wanted to be more creatively free. Um, but he wasn't working he like literally there there's there's anecdotes of like that Carmack had to create a program to log how much time Romero was working because all he would do was play deathmatch so much that it was impeding his work and everybody was kind of getting frustrated with each other and this kind of the dream team of Carmack and Romero who were two sides of the same coin kind of fell apart and Romero left id software and started his own company with another former id employee um and the company was called ion storm ion storm is a whole another thing oh okay we'll go on a little tangent because i have time but um during i actually don't remember what year this is in but a little maybe like a okay so it took a couple years right but in Ion Storm had two divisions. It was based in Texas, since that's where id Software was. Um, there was one in Houston and one in Dallas. And so they were they hired programmers and they had built their own company and they were all fine, right? John Romero wanted to work on his pet project, Daikatana, in Houston. No, in Dallas, I mean. And then in Houston, the other the other team of programmers with the other uh, the other former id Software employee um, started to work on a game called Deus Ex. Or this, uh, I don't know if they started to work on Deus Ex at the time, but they they made Deus Ex in 1999, and that was that game did pretty well commercially. So that one definitely saved Ion Storm. But Daikatana, oh, it is it is the uh, the stain on John Romero's career because it was set for like a, maybe a one year development time, and they're like, oh, you know, a Christmas release date did not turn out that way. He. Uh, John Romero constantly, you know, they're like, oh, it's done when it's done. We're working on it. We really are. Um, and they were. But every time that they were work they were working on it. And every time they would develop it. And then a new technology would come out. Id Software would come out with a new technology. And they're like, hey, the Quake 3 engine, because at this point Quake 3 had come out. Hey, the Quake 2 engine is great. Or the Quake 3 engine is great. Can we move our game into that? And they would have to spend maybe a couple months moving all of their assets into a new version of the game. And then, okay, let's change a couple things. 
and it kept happening and it kept happening until like 2002 and Daikatana came out and it was terrible. And on top of it, everybody was like, Romero, you were so arrogant about this game being amazing and then it turned out to be like awful. And so it, it kind of, you know, made him delve into a, a pit of embarrassment for a, a good while. But he ended up, I'm not sure if he's still doing game development, but he's still just kind of hanging out, you know, but Daikatana is the, the stain on his career. Um, so, it's software kept making revolutionary Quake games. Uh, they made, uh, you know, the Quake 2, Quake 3, they made Doom 2, and then Doom 3 was not good, but some people say it's okay. Personally, it's not Doom. You need a little bit of background knowledge on this. So every time they made, uh, the, Doom 3 was the last Doom game until like 2016. Um, so it was a big time jump, and it kind of, uh, it was very different Instead of being kind of one guy, lone gunman, killing as much as he can, and you know, like machine guns blazing, a kind of a hero out of violence, kind of a kind of you know, truly like a, like a hero, but like full of like covered in blood kind of image, right? They gave Doom this kind of eerie atmosphere, like stuck in space, sort of like. Uh, but yeah, just that sort of vibe. And so the the execution wasn't great. People didn't like it. And it didn't do very well. Some people say there are redeeming qualities. And I haven't played it enough to know. But, you know, that that is kind of its software's uh, stain on their career. But it's truly not terrible. Daikatana is really bad, though. It's awful. Um, so... Uh, we'll take it back a couple of years, because this is during the 90s, um, but there is another company I want to talk about that made some games that maybe weren't revolutionary in technology, but were revolutionary in story. It's called 3D Realms, and they used something uh, called the Build Engine, uh, which was their, uh, their, their video game engine, which was, you know... Uh, it had id tech which was their their engine that they programmed their games on and build uh, 3d realms i mean had the build engine so uh, 3d realms was previously apogee which released a lot of particularly interesting games that aren't very good but 3d realms i think was previously called pinball wizards and then under the acquisition of apogee it became 3d realms but 3d realms See, they had a, they had a, they had three D games, fully three D, um, but unlike Quake, which used three D models along with fully three D environments, just used three D environments, but had sprites, so like flat images, as enemies and as characters. Um, but three D realms get like build games are colorful and they are. Uh, full of ca- like character and personality, and and they are fondly remembered by a ton of people for being super memorable in in uh, the like truly the way it looked, the aesthetic of it was uh, was really specific. Uh, some three some of the three most important uh, build games uh, from 1996 to 1997 were Duke Nukem, Blood, and Shadow Warrior. Though only Duke Nukem and Shadow Warrior were from 3D Realms, um, uh, Blood being by GT Interactive, which is now Atari? Acquisition. 
um, they all had a similar sort of theme, despite being very different. Duke Nukem, uh, you might have heard of him. He's a Arnold Schwarzenegger type, and he goes around making almost misogynistic comments and shooting guns and being an awesome narcissistic jerk and uh, shooting bad guys. And he's they're all first-person shooters. But by the way, just this is mostly about FPS games. Um, so Duke Nukem is an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Asta La Vista baby type. Um, Shadow Legend uh, follows Lo Wang, who is kind of your stereotypical karate movie sensei type. Uh, you know, that sort of old man who is somehow extremely strong and kicks butt like no one else. And Blood follows Caleb, which who is this... Blood follows Caleb, who is kind of a, a gunslinger trying to get revenge on a god for killing his beloved Ophelia, his girlfriend, I think. Um, it's atmospheric and grim dark and and kind of uh, like dark com- comedy and uh to, to quote um somebody on youtube maybe civi 11 it's it has it feels like a john woo movie mashed into evil dead and it was cheating on the side a little with a western and it has an it's incredibly atmospheric and it feels like you're walking through a horror movie build engine games they're all so ridiculously atmospheric and fun and bouncy and comedic and they have a, a form of movement that is flowy and action-packed and it really makes you feel like you're going both at the speed of light and also like you're in bullet time and you have all the time in the world to kill everyone you need to. It's They're amazing. I Duke Nukem is one of my favorite games uh, along with one I'll talk about later. Doom is okay, but Duke Nukem 3D takes a cake for me. These uh, build engine games are just so full of personality, and though they weren't particularly revolutionary, um, a form of the build engine is actually still being used today. Uh, I think it's just called Build 2, but it looks nearly the same, though it's a little bit more advanced. It has a similar aesthetic of of bright colors, flashy lights, and uh, beautifully pixelated environments, and and, uh, voxel, which is essentially just pixels but in 3D, so very small squares that make up an object rather than um, bigger polygons, right? But it uses this combination of new hardware and technology and all the advances we've made since then and, you know, all of the old stuff to the aesthetic, the environments, the atmosphere, and combines them into a into beautiful and just, it's absolutely gorgeous. There's a new game uh, called Ion Fury, Uh, which follows, I believe, it's like Shelley Bombshell Harrison, and she's one of the first female protagonists in one of these uh, build games, right? But she's a a gunslinger, and she's fighting crime, and and the city has gone, you know, wild, and there's chaos everywhere, and she's going to put order. Oh, I love that game. Uh, I played it recently, and I was amazed with it. The atmosphere was amazing. it's, It's hard to describe, because I'm generally not very good at that thing, but it feels like... A futurist it's a futuristic cop movie type of, of that's the movie it takes inspiration from since these uh, build engine games seem to be very cinematic in a almost cartoony way and take inspiration from older video games um, and Ion Fury 
which was previously known as Ion Maiden, but because Metallica sucks, um, it's a decent band, but they are kind of annoying about copyright laws and everything, said, hey, Iron Iron Maiden is our song, you can't use it. And then uh, the developer's like, cool, okay, fine, I guess we'll change it to Ion Fury. Um, but Ion Fury, sorry on the tangent, but Ion Fury has a sort of... The thing about a lot of the older uh, classic build engine games, Duke Nukem, Shadow... Uh, Warrior and Blood is that all of their sequels were terrible? Just so horrifically bad and almost disrespectful to like the original energy and the original like vibes of of you know the the original games. Duke Nukem Forever, which came out in 2016, I believe, had a similar um it had a similar development to Daikatana, which is tragic to say, where every time they kept changing it and kept updating it and kept moving it to a different engine because it wasn't the built engine anymore. It, it, uh, I should clarify that, but Duke Nukem Forever was, uh, I believe it was an Unreal, in the Unreal engine, uh, a newer one, maybe like three or four, but I, I can't be, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was uh, more like a newer game that y- you think of nowadays where it has fully 3D models and, you know, you can see the muscles on characters and humanoids walking around and it doesn't look retro well looks doesn't look good but it doesn't look retro either um and it just because it kept getting delayed and kept getting like updated and they kept trying to add references it was supposed to be this sort of like topical game but because they released it so late it had references to things that had happened years ago like years before it had come out and so all what happened is that they made this like dated, unpleasant looking, unfunny and unfun game. Um, Blood 2 was pretty much the same thing, um, though it wasn't updated, but the way it was is it was made by Monolith. Uh, so it was a different company that, because Tari had bought the rights to uh, to uh, GT Interactive um, and then hired Monolith to make... Uh, to make uh, Blood 2, right? So Monolith made Blood 2 and was like, hey, this is the this is what we have so far after maybe a year or year and a half of development. Said, hey, this is what we have so far. Um, this is how much more time we need to finish it, and this is what it'll cost to finish it. And then the bosses just they shipped Blood 2. They didn't even uh um they they, they just they finished they sh- essentially put an underbaked bread into store shelves. It's like an uncooked game. It's raw. And it it feels terrible. The story just isn't there. And it tries to be like the original. And it might have been able to if it had been just polished a little more. Uh, like the developers truly wanted it to be. But it didn't It didn't get that chance. Um, as for Shadow Warrior, I'm really not familiar with it. I know about it and I haven't played it. And I don't know that much about the sequels. Because uh, there's sequels, there's a couple. There was like a Shadow Warrior 2, and then there was like another one where it was like he was young instead of an old man. And I heard they weren't very good, but I think people still like them anyway, so I- I'm not sure about that one. But it's the tragedy of build games, except for uh, like Ion, Ion Fury being a new one, rather than just trying to be something it's not, it tried to kind of bring the old back. And it's. A recent theme nowadays is I see a lot of uh, classic 
styled video games being made rather than using the absolute latest in technology they're going back to old engines or revisiting old ideas and just trying to kind of bring that nostalgia back it's it's an age of nostalgia recently and iron fury does it really well but it's really sad how the build engine games just absolutely did not do well Uh, and I've gone on for a while now, but I'm at my last point, um, and my personal favorite, uh, not era, because these all games were happening at the same time, um, in the late, late 90s, uh, early 2000s, but this is my, my personal favorite, is, uh, we're talking about developers and the games that they made, called Valve Software. Valve Software was formed by... Gabe Newell and uh, another man whose name I can't remember, and the former Microsoft employees. And these Gabe Newell, at least, is also generally just a genius. Probably on par with Carmack and Romero. But he and his team, uh, which had people with the likes of, like, who is it? Uh, Greg Coomer, um, Ted Backman, Mark Laidlaw as a writer... Um, it had a ton of people, a ton of people who are still making amazing video games today worked on Half-Life. And Half-Life, I don't know if it was more revolutionary than Doom or Quake, but for me, personally, it, it opened my eyes completely. It lo- The way I saw video games changed when I knew, when I learned and played about Half-Life. Um, when I learned about Half-Life and played it, I mean, sorry. So Half-Life... Here's what it's about, right? It's about you play as a man named Gordon Freeman who works in an underground secret facility as a physicist and he's going into work one day, everything's normal, and he has a test. And so he has to push a huge crystal into this beam of energy in order to try and open a portal. And in doing that, he accidentally causes a resonance cascade. And this resonance cascade, though it isn't completely explained at the time, essentially rips apart reality in different spots and brings aliens and enemies. And you have to go through this whole secret like government facility um, wearing a suit of power armor, killing as much as you can, but not in the same way you had to kill as much as you couldn't do. Doom was bloodshed. Half-Life was survival. In Doom, you were a marine, you were a man made to kill, but in Half-Life, you were just some nerd. You were just some guy having the worst, like, Wednesday of his life. Um, but Half-Life, it's it's definitely my favorite, probably my favorite video game. Uh, but, like, it's, it's up there. Um, but it revolutionized storytelling because, here's the thing, right? So build games had a lot of character. They had a lot of personality with their characters' one-liners and the beautiful aesthetic of it all, and and just how much personality build games had, right? But it didn't have they didn't have story the way Half Life did. Half Life was seamless. It didn't the it didn't have levels the way that other games did. Half Life, if you played it all the way through, it was as if you were running through it in one shot. You didn't stop and go between, like, you didn't travel between places or or levels were not set in two different locations the way that other games were at the time. This was seamless and it was amazing because you felt like you were experiencing every moment of this man's awful day, <laughs> this man's life, like, like you of course, the main character's life. Um, the main character is actually a silent protagonist. One of, not the first, but definitely uh, it was uh, a little... Um, 
it wasn't new at the time, but it was interesting because it really made you feel like you were him, like you were the character. It was you who was running through Black Mesa, is the name of the facility, um, to, just trying to survive. It really puts you in his shoes, and it's it's a uh, it, like it's it doesn't just put you in his shoes visually, but the fact that characters will talk to you and the way that you have to sneak around and just try to do as much as you can to survive. The at like the atmosphere is just amazing and it's different than anything like Doom or, or Quake with their grim dark atmospheres and or or anything like Build that was usually bright or or gory or you know fun. Usually Half Life was dramatic. It was it it, it, it first of all the gameplay was um, was completely different. It it had a, ver- a focus on realism um, because it had a physics system which. I feel like nowadays we kind of take it for granted. At the time, it was something revolutionary. The fact that you could move boxes and things could fall and move and and you could affect them was brand new and it was amazing. Um, But Valve would experiment more with physics systems in a later game, a sequel to Half-Life. But Half-Life, the original one, is my all-time favorite. On top of that, there is... You know their sequel, Half Life Two. Half Life Two took it to a whole another level. It came out approximately in two thousand three. I'm pretty sure two thousand three, two thousand four. No, probably two thousand four for my memory. Um, but this game, it ch- it changed everything. It was the new revolution. It had realism. It had faces. It people looked alive though the world was so dead. The plot of Half-Life 2 is you are Gordon Freeman again, but this time you have been transported from the apocalypse of, you know, Black Mesa, the facility, to uh, 20 years in the future where aliens have invaded Earth and they have formed a totalitarian regime. And so it's you are tasked with saving them and liberating Earth. And you are, you have companions, you have... A, a character named Alex, a girl named Alex who follows you and helps you and makes commentary and speaks for you when you can't because you are still a silent protagonist. And she, you know, she she brings life and characters interact with each other and the animations are, for the time, they're, they're, they're stunning. It's, it's, you see it and, you know, right now we take things for granted, but we go back and we truly realize just... We have to put ourselves in the shoes of a person in 2004 who thinks, oh, how, how, what are games going to look like now? And you, you see something like Half-Life 2, which is beautifully atmospheric. It has an amazing level design and just so realistic. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a world of its own. It's in its own league. Um, and it's hard for me to describe just how much these games first of all, affected me and how much they opened my eyes to the world of gaming history. But it really made me appreciate games, older games, really, because I saw a lot of recent games and they all just looked flashy and too hard to learn. And I they, I really was put off by them for a while and I, I never really got into them or, or was particularly attracted to playing video games other than like Minecraft. But that's... You know, something I've been doing my whole life. But these games really, they they had a sort of nostalgia 
that I didn't have. They, they, people spoke about them like they were gold, like they were holier than holy. But, and and I, I was interested in them, and you know, I I saw them, and the aesthetics were kind of interesting, and I started to see that these weren't just mindless video games that you played just because you wanted to play war, like Call of Duty that I had seen my cousins play my whole life, but. I was like, oh, these games are not just about playing war, and that's why stuff like Doom and uh, games like Halo don't particularly uh, attract me, because I've never been a fan of, like, playing war or, or playing the military. I, I So that's why stuff like Half-Life and, and Duke Nukem and Blood, they attracted me. They they truly sparked a create something creative in me that maybe, first of all, gain all of this knowledge, because what I've just said, I have not read any of it. I've, I have this all memorized because all of this is so interesting to me and I have it playing in my head constantly because it's it sucked me in it's got me hypnotized the the yes the beauty of it the fact that you can really feel how much love and and time and energy and creativity went into the level design and into the textures and the models I've always been attracted to the artistic side of games is uh, let me just say that I've always been attracted to the artistic side of games and being able to see art in video games rather than something that looks like it came from a video game sweatshop, which is mostly what the video game uh, industry is like now, but it really spoke to me. And that's why I wanted to do a podcast about this because I have a ton to say about how video games look and what goes into them and how they're made and stuff like level design and texture design, enemy design. Um, the artistic side of it, the, the fact that people will say, oh, video games aren't art, they're just video games, and it's like, well, how can you say that when you see how much goes into making one, you know, and how much goes into making one's long, a long, long time ago when all the tools to make a game, I have now for free on my computer, I can find them on the internet, and these people had to start from the ground up, and it's, as an artist, it's an inspiring story to see these people make something revolutionary and something that so many people really loved. It's it's inspiring for me. Um, but yeah, uh, that was Power Source. Uh, oh, Power, let me talk a little bit about the name because I'm very proud of it. Power Source is uh, based off of, and I forgot to mention it, but the games from Valve Software are done in what they call the Source Engine. I don't know why they named the source engine, but they did. Um, and Power Source is based off of it's kind of a mix of the Source Engine and an old magazine you might have heard of called Nintendo Power, which was a video game all about Nintendo games that they used to publish. Um, and so it's kind of a, a mix of those two things. And also Power Source like energy because I have a lot of energy about this specific topic. Um, but uh, this was a podcast, and hopefully I could have a guest or something next time to talk about their experience with games or maybe uh, their influences. And Or, you know, if I don't have a guest, maybe I'll go a little bit deeper into um, either build or source because I like those engines a lot. So thank you for listening. My name is Max, and this was Power Source. <laughs>